Apopi gengener kegir, takako asinda minikrir meunikrintair. Welcome to Con Langer's podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Forley. Over in England, we have the lovely Bianca Mangum, nominated no. Bianca Richards. Well, uh, there we go. Richards, there we Hello. go. And over in the great state of Wisconsin, we have the indispensable William Annis. Hello. Uh, how is everybody's... This is our first recording of the new year, not our first episode of the new year, so how was everybody's New Year's stuff? There was steak and a party. It was good. <laughs> Mine was terrible. I was sick, and we went to this weird place. The food was terrible, and I was sick, so I basically slept, and then I woke up around 10 and stayed up till midnight. I tried dancing, but it made me dizzy. So then I went, well, I tried to go back to sleep, but then I was up until 6 in the morning with no food, and I was really hungry. Yikes. This weird place. It was a hotel, but it wasn't a great one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Anyway, I felt the need to complain about for it. For me, it was uh, smaller than usual. Not everybody came. Uh, usually the tradition is everybody comes to mom and dad's house. And there's a big thing, taffy pulling, making a gingerbread house and all kinds of taffy stuff. Taffy pulling? Yes, taffy yeah. pulling. We didn't do the taffy pulling. We did do the gingerbread house. Taffy pulling? <laughs> what? <laughs> What's I'm wrong sorry. with taffy pulling? Anyway. Um, do you literally just pull taffy? Do you not know how taffy is made, Bianca? No. Why yeah, would I know okay. how taffy is made? Right. A, a, how You have to boil it pretty hard. Taffy yeah. is made by aerating sugar by pulling a very, very dense sugar syrup over and over and over again. Yeah. Ah. So you don't just sit around pulling taffy. When you say you're pulling taffy, you're making taffy. You, you, yeah, you pull it and then you fold it over, you pull it again. Usually you Well, put, and I didn't think you were just pairs. like, we got bored today, so we got yeah. out the taffy candy and started to pull it around the house. <laughs> no. <laughs> if, in, uh, in actual like candy shops, I think uh, a lot of times, one guy will do it on like a hook, but we don't. We didn't do that. We didn't even do it this year, anyway. But uh, I, I kept slipping away to edit the last episode, and like my brother came down, and he <laughs> he has weird ideas about my podcasting, and uh, you know he seems sort of obsessed with the the fact that I don't make any money doing this, so why am I doing it? I don't get that. He's clearly never heard of a hobby. Yeah. Well, I don't know what... what I'd love to monetize a podcast, but you know what? We have a very small audience. Yeah, and it's not going to work. There's a bunch of other factors in that in that I don't want to deal with right now. Anyway, let's... I'm going to stop complaining about my family, and we're going to get on with episodes. <laughs> so, um, today... This is something, William, I think you're the one that suggested this in the first place, aren't you? Probably um, months ago. Yeah, We've had this yeah. one for a long time. Yeah, it's been on our game. list for a while. Um, but basically, we're talking about gender and noun classes. And, you know, 
the title that William put on, put down was Gender Classes Agreement Oh My. So, <laughs> oh my. Right. <laughs> anyway, but um, uh, basically gender, really gender and noun class to me have always meant the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult issue. Apparently... And I've encountered them on the internets, that there are people who do not think that gender and class systems are the same, but the Wikipedia hive mind agrees with you and me that they're basically the same thing. Yeah, so what we're talking about with gender and noun class is basically any kind of system where the nouns in a language are divided arbitrarily or somewhat arbitrarily into two or more different classes and usually there is and there has to be agreement on some other word that's associated with the noun am i right on that yeah i think i think you can have gender especially you know like sex like brother and sister are clearly a similar kind of relationship where the word is distinguished by sex but that's not enough to have a gender system you need to have some sort of pattern of agreement with adjectives or demonstratives or or verbs or something which also is changing to match the class of the noun. So it's important to keep in mind that you have gender, you have class, and you have classifiers. Mm-hmm. Gender is typically when you have three classes and people talk about or and sometimes two, and classes are when you're in things like the Bantu languages that have four or more. Um, so I'm going to be talking about both gender and class today, and I mean the same thing when I say that. It's just by convention when you have more than three, people usually call them classes. Um, but do not confuse these with classifiers, which is a different thing that we've talked about before with like Chinese and 13 head of cattle and all of that. Those are oh, different. No. Yeah, that's a that's that's a, a different thing. It's you could say it's semi-related, but it's not the same thing. Yeah, there there's, there does seem to be some sort of overlap. There are a small number of languages that have both class systems and classifier systems. So we have reason to believe they're different, but I would guess that there there really is a lot of overlap. Okay, so let's kind of get into the meat of this and what what kinds of things you can um, assign as a gender. You know, everybody knows masculine-feminine or masculine-feminine-neuter. That's like half of European languages have something like that. So um, we can kind of gloss over that a little bit in order to get into some of the more interesting things. But um, a lot... So, William, you... You often quote this thing. I see in your, it's in your notes that gender off occurs in about 50% of languages, and of those, ha- about half have only animate versus inanimate. I want to know where you get that, because... Walls and, then, and math. Really? Because right. it seems like Walls disagrees with you. No, you look at chapter 30. Okay. Yeah, it's about 50 yeah, slightly okay. more than half of all languages have no gender at all. Mm-hmm. Of those that do, about half simply have a two 
animate versus inanimate systems. So only a quarter of the world's languages is where all this delicious complexity um, of three gender to 12 gender, however many systems you want, all of those are divided into the, just those, just that quarter percent, that quarter of the languages of the planet that have more elaborated systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's step back a little bit before we talk about the different possibilities there in that what on earth is the point um, in his, in his language construction kit book, um, Mark Rosenfelder makes the point that certain language families, like um, the Bantu, Indo-European, the Semitic languages, have had gender systems that have lasted for five millennia. Wow. So they must be doing something. Yeah, clearly, clearly if, if a, a gender system exists for 5,000 years, regardless of it, probably changed quite a bit. Sure, in sure, that sure. Time, but... Any feature of a language that lasts for 5,000 years is doing something. Probably doing something. So he gives he lists a few possibilities, and I, they're pretty good. Um, one is that it helps to tie adjectives and noun together, reducing the need for word order, and it adds useful clues for parsing. So this is really important. Languages are not perfectly efficient, and they shouldn't be perfectly efficient because we communicate in a noisy medium. Mm-hmm. A little that little bit of extra redundancy of gender gives you um, some extra checking um, to help you parse things correctly in a noisy environment. That uh, makes sense. Sort yeah, of you're like, always, I'm always mishearing things. Right, and you can link that. You can look at a lot of sort of languages that use grammatical gender and see that happen. In fact, sometimes the the gender can free up word order even due sure. to that. Um, sure. Um, let's see what else he says. It, uh, it allows indefinite references to give someone sex, which makes gossip easier. So, <laughs> so, <clears throat> so that's kind of funny. And that's less interesting to me than the one he says. It offers some of the advantages of obviative pronouns. So we've probably not talked about obviative pronouns here, but... It has to do with the bigger issue of co-referentiality. How do you know when you use the pronoun he or she who you are talking about? Uh-huh. If you have no genders at all, you have to come up with other systems and other tools to help you rec- d- distinguish who you're talking about when you say, he said that he went to the store. Yeah. Right? Is that the same person? So we've got some languages of Africa have something called logophores, which are special pronouns which are only used in subordinate clauses. Um, in obviative, in languages that use obviation, they have special affixes on nouns and pronouns that say, that let you distinguish this element is central to the discourse and this element is subordinate somehow. Mm-hmm. And so then you can do that. So you need some way. And if you've got he, she, and it, then at least you can distinguish a little bit more easily without having to come up with complicated systems like switch reference or whatever. And in a language like Swahili, you can put all of your marking on the verb in addition to its eight classes, um, which gives you a little freedom of word order there because most of the time you will know who's doing what to whom because of the different classes. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that is interesting to me is that 
that kind of presumes the obviation thing. It seems like it kind of presumes that you are putting gender on the uh, pronouns. Right. And uh, so I don't know really numbers or anything on this, but it seems to me like you could have grammatical gender and not distinguish it on the on the pronouns. Ooh, that seems very unlikely to me. Really? Yes. If someone knows a natural language that does this, I'd love to hear about it, but that that's the whole point of mm. gender. Pronouns are one of the first things to show up as having agreement. Probably okay. one of the things that even if the agreement gets lost, keeps it. Right, well, like English that's, did. That's true yeah. in English. Um, because we lost all grammatical gender, but we have gender distinctions in third-person pronouns. It's probably because right. it's very useful. It is useful. Um, and then the last thing that um, Mark gives in his lists is it gives language another dimension to seep into. And what he means by that is it becomes a very um, useful way to derive words from other words with just subtle changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly that can be used in the Bantu systems, especially where the same root is used with different gender marking or class marking to change the meaning. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, even with limited experience with Spanish, I see sort of that happening. Well, there are a couple of cases where if you use masculine, it's one thing. If you use feminine, it's another. Yeah. And not just like, you know, actor and actress. Like, uh, what is it? I haven't... I think El Cura versus La Cura. El Cura is like a priest, I think. I don't know if anyone actually says that. And la cura is like a cure for something. Oh, okay, uh, sure. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. There's Someone can tell me when of, I'm wrong. There's a <laughs> bunch of different things you can you can deal, do with that. but. Uh, well, that's a nice example of where, you know, it's not the obvious, you know, masculine-feminine yeah. distinction that you could easily do. Right. Uh, there's There's more sort of things that we need to um, talk about, though, other than the the derivation thing. You could, um, but um, why don't we kind of get through a little bit more of... Well, let's actually come back to that, actually. The (laughs) derivation is sort of attached to that. It seems like, to me, I only know this from Spanish, but I'm sure other gender... um, Language, gendered languages uh, do this. Certain derivational processes and also loan words will tend to have a certain gender. Yeah, that's that. That issue is so complicated that Walls gave it its own page. Oh, did it? Yes. If you have a new word come into your language, where on earth is it going to be classified? Now, typically, if you're talking about a human, mm-hmm. then the appropriate class for humans will be used. So, in the Bantu languages, distinguish humans, but they don't distinguish sex in their gender system, usually. So, adult humans go in one class, and they don't distinguish male or female. Um, Whereas, lots of languages, on the other hand, distinguish male and female. Um, So, whatever. You bring in a new word for doctor or pediatrician or whatever, and it will go into an appropriate class. Mm -hmm. Everything else becomes much more complex. How do you decide where that word ends up? In some languages, it's a combination of, it's mostly semantic, 
Um, in other languages, it's mostly word shape. Mm-hmm. Like if it ends in the vowel ah, it may just end up feminine in a European language. Um, or there may be some sort of tension between them. Mm-hmm. I think in Swedish, almost all new words go into common mm-hmm. gender rather than neuter. I think neuter is kind of not as... Well, it's less frequent. Spanish makes everything masculine unless it's... Um, unless it ends in ah. Uh, some, and sometimes things that end in ah, uh, particularly Greek loan words, end up being masculine. Right. And, uh, and Russian is really complicated, so they have the normal rule of it's a man or a woman, then it goes to the appropriate class. But... Picking neuter for a new word is dispreferred, which I think is really interesting, that the word is more likely to end up into a masculine or feminine class somehow, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So, yeah, um, and, and this is where people – we do not have time in this podcast to go, every, to go over every <laughs> conceivable system by which you might sort your words. Um, some languages yeah. are semantic, where semantic means – Men go into the masculine class, but so do any tools that men use or occupations or things associated with the occupations of men. Um, So it makes sense semantically, but it might not be obvious to us as people outside of the culture how things get classified. Yeah, definitely, definitely. um, I know that even between two different Romance languages, Spanish, all professions tend to be differentiated by whether the specific individual is male or female, and then in Italian, they each profession has a gender assigned to it. So, there's mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things like that that, if you're making a language family, you can think about that. You can have one branch handle the genders of various different words one way, and one handle it another way. Oh, and this is... Like right- the Germanic family. Like the Germanic. This is ripe territory for dialect work beyond just the vowel ah sounds ooh in here. Yeah, as you could you could you know, you can have one lose a gender, you can have one um use genders completely differently. Well, I would guess not completely differently for dialects, but you might have some interesting switches or yeah, so forth. Well like a certain word would change sure. gender or something. Sure. Um what else do we have we can talk about here? Um lots of stuff apparently. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just kind of at so, a loss. So one thing I wanted to talk I want to get this before it scrolls off our screen is we're talking about gender and class assignment on the nouns and the big clue that you actually have gender is agreement. There may or may not be overt marking on the noun itself about what gender it is. In the Indo-European languages there are patterns more obvious than others. Like, if you have a word in Greek and it's in the second declension ending in S, chances are it is masculine with a small number of exceptions. Um, But in other languages, you just got your nouns and there's no marking on them at all about what gender they're in. Yeah. And and that can place a little bit of um, a mental load on people learning the language. Um, In the Bantu languages, very often... uh, the class of the noun and everything that agrees with it is overt. 
Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the marking is the same for all parts of speech. So it's the same prefix on the noun and on the adjective and the verb. Um, and as I read on an old conlang mailing list post once, that means that many Bantu sentences sound like Viking alliterative verse. Because <laughs> you have certain syllables being repeated as agreement marking. Um, in terms of agreement elsewhere... Anything that you can think of in terms of your normal morphology can apply. It could be a prefix, it could be a suffix, it could be some fusional madness like the Indo-European languages do where your case number and gender suffixes are all globbed together into an indissolvable whole. Yeah, that's if you want to be all crazy synthetic about it. Right. So, Well, very, yeah. Um, in... All sorts of fun can be had with the verbs. Um, Swahili has polypersonal agreement, right? Both subject and direct object of transitive verbs are prefixed onto the verb. And both the subject and the, cla the direct object have separate class prefixes. Mm -hmm. um, in the North Caucasian languages, Northeast Caucasian languages, I think, and Burushaski, which is an isolate language spoken in Pakistan? Somewhere around there, I forget. Um, the verbs, but not all of them, you just have to memorize which ones get them. The verbs take class prefixes. For intransitive verbs, the class agrees with the subject. For transitive verbs, the class agrees with the direct object. And that seems to be normal pattern even in languages that aren't ergative languages otherwise. Interesting. Right. I'm not even going to talk about all of the details of the Algonquin verbs, but they are extremely sensitive to grammatical animacy versus inanimacy, with intransitive verbs matching the subject and transitive verbs matching the object. So any given verb may have up to four forms um, wow. to account for agreement with um, class. That's... The, all this verb stuff is very interesting to me because obviously me and Bianca only have uh, are only familiar with a language that does uh, what determiners and adjectives. So the idea that you can have verbs agree with gender is mm -hmm. very sort of. I guess it's not so exotic, but it's exotic to us. Nah. I think if I'm correct, and I could always be wrong because my Arabic class was kind of more immersion rather than telling you what the hell's happening. I think there are some verbs which have a weird sensitivity to gender, but I'm not exactly sure what was happening. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, um, we, I, the wackiness of, Eric ver of Arabic verbs is <laughs> on my list of things to talk about today. So one thing that since we brought up Arabic and the other Semitic languages, it's worth mentioning that these are two gender systems, masculine and feminine, into which everything goes. And the Semitic languages are the only languages that I can think of offhand that have gender not only on the third-person pronouns, but on second-person pronouns. Yeah. yeah, that's really sort of odd, isn't it? Because you would expect that you should be able to just d discern what the gender of the whoever your second person referred is by context, because you're talking to them. They're the person listening to you, but mm -hmm. it, they still have it. Yep. Yeah, I have no idea how that developed. Um, <laughs> um, now, I, I should say that what I said about the Algonquin verbs is true of them. I have never seen anything like that 
where other genders are used for this, right? You mm-hmm. expect animate versus inanimate things to be treated differently in languages because we're very sensitive to what happens to people and animals we care about as opposed to random objects. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you could create a language where you have different verbs for C depending on the gender of the object with, in like a five-gender system... <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't think that I don't know of a language where that's happened it's only um, in the Algonquin languages I'm familiar with this pattern and that has only to do with their very simple animacy system I have a question um, and, here, and here I'm talking about a change in the verb stem rather than simple polypersonal agreement okay I have a question how often how much does an animate versus inanimate um uh, gender system line up with the animacy hierarchy of a language? Like, um, is it too terribly uncommon for one, something that's actually more animate to still have an inanimate marking? Um, no, but the other way can happen. Really? Objects can be in the animate class. There's some kind of berry in Cree. I forget what it is. So a few things that are stars, the celestial objects frequently end up animate for some reason, it just seems to me. Um, I know that is absolutely true of Cree. Um, and this assignment is grammatical. Okay. So the, the reason I'm saying that is you might have a tool that for some reason has been promoted to animate gender is still treated in the semantics of the language according to its actual animacy. So imagine that we had some Algonquin language somewhere that decided knives were grammatically animate. They still could not ever be the subject of a transitive sentence. That's... Ah, okay, I see. So semantic animacy is still distinct from grammatical animacy in these languages. That's what I was getting at, was was how... But it's interesting that you would have something... You could have you you have sometimes words that gain the animate marking even though they're they're semantically inanimate, but you don't have the uh, other way around. Uh, I don't. I'm not aware of anywhere that happens. That's. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I just don't. I don't have any examples at hand in my brain to say. Well, this. Um, if anybody has examples of something that's that's actually higher up on the animacy hierarchy, but it's marked as inanimate. Please email conlanger at gmail dot com. <laughs> there we go. <sighs> Where you can email um, any correction that you want. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um. What was I going to say? Uh, do we need to say anything before we go to my list of wonderful exotica? Um, I think we've covered about everything in your list. Um, right. wait. Did you say something about this um, intransitives coding? Yeah, I, I mentioned that. It does seem okay. to be cross-linguistically common. Oh, okay. For intransitive verbs to code the subject class or gender and transitives to code the direct object gender, um, even in languages that are not otherwise ergative. Okay, yeah. All right. I'm sorry. But, I, but that's uh, an obvious ergative patterning, right? Yeah, I yeah. was d- distracted when you said that in the first place. So Yeah, um, sorry. You could, so, you could talk about the exotica. I think the exotica. we covered most of it. So as I've liked to say, as I've liked to say, as I like to say, um, grammar is born hungry. 
once yeah. you've got a gender or class system, it might be grabbed to do other things. Um, for example, one of the Bantu noun classes is used to create infinitives, and it has no plural. I love that idea. So it's you just you just slap the noun class on the onto the the, the verb stem the and verb. voila, you have an infinitive. Yay! <laughs> I think this is one of the things a lot of conlangs lag is that, or at least when you start, you want to make a section for everything. Mm-hmm. You want everything to have its own little structure. Right. When in reality, you don't want to have to remember all these stupid little structures. You're happy to use the same thing for a couple different things. Yeah, right. you can add a lot of naturalism if you have different grammatical features interacting like this. You can have a what is essentially a gender or a class marking changing, being exclusive to changing verbs into infinitives or changing right. something. Right. Or, you know. I think that's how I derived not infinitives, but non-finite verbs, because yeah. I haven't figured out what it is exactly. Or, I think that's exactly yeah. how I derive them from adjectives yeah. in my one language. I just stuck the infinitive thing on it. Or, or <laughs> stuff like um, we mentioned in another episode um, a, a copula being derived from a demonstrative and thus you could have a non-verb demonst- demonstrative that still has uh, some sort of agreement system. Right, has gender agreement and number agreement, but no tensor aspect of the normal verby stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, in some of the old Indo-European languages, and it would not surprise me to find that some modern ones still do this, some words switch gender in the plural. That's interesting. So how does that work? Typically, this is not happening to people. Okay. It's happening to words like tree. <laughs> so... So tree is masculine and singular and and feminine and like, plural, like or, or neuter or something. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. German right. does this. Really? I, I think all plurals are feminine. No, 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 no. You are no. confusing German with Arabic, which is very. <laughs> no, no, no. I think so. <laughs> that is a rem- one of I, the Germans can tell us. No, I, I assure you that is not the case. <laughs> Sure. I am quite sure. 100% that's, certain. That's an interesting thing. There has to be some interesting sort of historical no, thing on. behind that. That there's The word like looks the same. Thing. Z and Z looks similar, but no. Maybe there's a there there has to be like a phonetic no, thing. No, not from the person. What are you talking about? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, so Okay, Bianca but, making things up about German. Let's 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 move on. In a very well, historical one of the Germans to answer us. Yeah, okay. Um in ancient Greek very rigorously and Vedic somewhat marginally and it was already gone by the time you got to classical Sanskrit. Neuter plurals take singular verbs. Why would this be the case? There New, inanimate objects. So some people think that ancient uh, Proto-Indo-European only had the animate-inanimate distinction uh-huh. before the animates split off into masculine and feminine. And in languages that have grammatical number, sometimes inanimates don't get to be pluralized or are pluralized only sometimes. Um, uh. There is a thought that ancient Proto-Indo-European, the, there was no neutral plural. So when they got around to inventing one, they just used a collective noun derivational element, huh. which that's, is grammatically that's singular. Cool. So, it, um, so essentially, 
they aren't plural, they're collective. Right. Um, now, this fights with natural gender throughout the history of Greek. For example, the normal, uh, the simplest word for a child in ancient Greek was pais, but quickly took on a diminutive, paideon, and that's grammatically neuter. So you make that plural, you're talking about kids, they're obviously animate, and a bunch of them, mm-hmm. um, but your grammar is telling you that needs to take a singular verb. So often, natural semantic gender will take over. That's an interesting thing that I, th- I like to think about when, when I'm looking at gender, is in, in that um, you can have this sort of fight between natural semantics and, um, and arbitrary semantics, like, you know, you could have just some things that are marked as uh, animate or inanimate purely because the, you need to dis- distinguish homophones. Right. And then other places where the language is militating toward um, changing the, the gender of something because it doesn't make sense. Right, right. And that, that over time, that sort of thing gets... Eli- um Eliminated. So, as I said, um, ancient Greek and Sanskrit are pretty close cousins. Greek retained this pattern. Vedic Sanskrit kind of had it, but by the time later Sanskrit comes onto the scene, it had lost this funky habit of making neuter plural subjects agree with singular verbs. And then the last one that I wanted to talk about in terms of exotica is the majestic wackiness of Arabic broken plurals. (laughs) So... um, and I'm not even going to talk about the weird verb form switcheroo that happens depending on word order in Arabic. We'll just leave that aside. <laughs> um, and I'm talking mostly about the classical language, but I believe this is true for most of the modern languages as well. So there is, in fact, a simple, quote-unquote, regular plural in Arabic. Almost <laughs> no nouns take it. <laughs> which, I, which is just which is right it's predictable you change the ending for and case agreement whatever most nouns in arabic it's a triconsonantal system do some sort of shuffle to take the singular from the plural so the singular for boy is walad and the plural is aulad so you've added a prefix and sucked out the middle vowel and changed the last vowel walad aulad um the word for book is kitab, and to make books, it's kutub. kutub. My favorite example is. is when the Arabs borrowed the word for film. It's like, hey, it has three consonants. So, movies in Arabic is aflam. It takes the same pattern as awlad, uh, walad, boy. All right. Aflam, instead of just... A- Film and adding something—it's no. They they decided it had to it had to be one of these broken. They're films. like, this is I great. It I, fits perfectly. Yes, it fits our language. <laughs> I think I heard that Hebrew did something similar with like telephone or something. Um. Well, Arabic went its own way and is the only language of all the Semitic family that uses this system pervasively for plurals. There might be okay. others. I could be wrong about that. Mm. Um, Hebrew, certainly classical Hebrew, mostly has a regular pattern. Uh, um, these things that we call plurals are semantically plurals, but historically they are, again, collective nouns, all of which are feminine. <laughs> so, grammatical plurals 
pattern as feminine singulars in terms of agreement with both adjectives and verbs. This is most strictly adhered to in verbs, adjectives, um, especially if you're talking about people, um, natural gender will take over and your adjectives will agree with um, semantic um, See, things. This, this, this is why we have you on the show, William. I would have <laughs> never thought of a language where the number would change the gender of the noun. Yeah. But it actually happens. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so that's that. And you can find many, many pages in an Arabic grammar trying to help you understand this if you want to look at this more carefully. And the last just wonderful strangeness about both Arabic and the rest of the Semitic languages is the numbers as adjectives have masculine and feminine forms. And they're Morphology is obvious and overt. This column is masculines, this column, this column is feminines. Except that the numbers cross-agree. Wait, what? A, a masculine noun takes a number that in any other, on any other adjective would make it look like a feminine, and a feminine noun takes agreement on with numbers um, with a marker that on any other adjective you would think was feminine. Okay, so numerals take the opposite marking of everything else. Yes, that's hilarious. If somebody can understand how this happens, I think a deep insight into the human mind will have been accomplished. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how historically this could have happened. I'm like... You and many other people have tried. <laughs> it will break your brain. That's... <laughs> <laughs> It's not an analogy, because the analogy would make it go the other way. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, that, and that, like I said, is shared among, I assume, all of the Semitic languages, certainly the major ones that, that I've read about, have this funky cross pattern that I just don't get. <sighs> anyway, so... That, that <laughs> um, I, I yeah. found... I, I don't know many conlangs that use grammatical gender. Now, those that derive, you know, something like Wenedic or, or um, Bethenig, or, or those that derive themselves from, you know, Latin or whatever, if they're starting with material that has grammatical gender, they might keep it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of creating languages from scratch, I don't think gender gets used that much. The only two I can think of that are, are reasonably likely to be known are Klingon, which has three genders, Beings capable of language, body parts, and everything else. Are those actually genders, though? Yeah, they do because the plural marking is different for them, as I recall. Yeah, but nothing else agrees with them. Yeah, so that that may be iffy. That may be... Yeah, that's tough. Um, I will point out that my language, Ayuruyo, has gender, but, you know... Okay, so yours does. I Um, added a language with gender just because I wanted to, but uh it wasn't that thrilling. Just two. Just two. Um, I tend to go with inanimate versus animate systems if I do it at all. Um, and the other language um, that most people probably don't know about um, is called Solyani. I mean, some people will have heard of it. It's by, oh, I forget this man's initials all the time, R M A R Barker. Solyani at that, any point, or is it just on our list? Um, it's on our list, but because the grammar is only described in books, I don't know that we'll ever get to it. Um, oh, yeah. 
And that's a language he created for his gigantically complicated role-playing game system in the 70s. Um, Mm -hmm. And it has two genders, noble and ignoble. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. Um, (laughs) And and that's it. There may be... There may be others, but I, I just can't think of them offhand. Maybe it's because we're just horrible English speakers. <laughs> no, I think I would remember if somebody had an interesting gender or class system. I'm just saying that maybe as English speakers, we're prone to be like, this, we don't need it. Yeah. Well, um... Sorry. Okay. I would think... I've seen sort of a lot of sketches and stuff that had grammatical gender. Um, a lot of times it was misguided newbie grammatical gender where they they do crazy stuff like uh, put in a transgender gender. Right, stuff. so there they've confused um, sexual identity with the grammatical category, which is always irritating. Yeah. Um, um, you don't, you don't need that. That, that. That's probably not going to appear... <laughs> And and is that even gender, or is that just pronouns that are making distinctions? Um, yeah, I don't know. A lot I think it'll just be on the pronouns. And all a lot of times, yeah, I mean, that still just, qualifies as gender since yeah. there's agreement. But I would expect. I like the idea of Actually, <laughs> transgender a, adjectives, but okay. Abyssinian had that, and I think it was just pronouns for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's 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 weird. But anyway, I think we've covered this fairly well, and we yeah, can kind I've, of move on. I've included, and, and George can put this on the show notes, I've included links to some, like, one Bantu and two Australian languages, which have these wonderful, large um, yes, systems I've, of gender that I've people can get some ideas these, from. These are very interesting. Um, and it has, uh, some of them have explanations of what, goes into each gender that are very right. interesting. Right, right. So. That That's mostly why I put those there. It's useful to find out how things get classed. Um, so, why don't we move on to our featured conlang, uh, which is Taruvan. Yeah, how about we'll say that. Uh, let's see if there's an author credit in here. Who created this uh, language? Oh, you know, that's a really interesting question. Because he doesn't put his... Well, he calls tail- himself yeah. Taliesin. Taliesin is what his name is, okay? But uh, we don't know his real name. Uh, but we, we don't know anything else about him. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure um, how much this language has been worked on recently. Anyway. I'm trying to figure out some things. So the, the conceit of this language is, is that it is... Um, the former lingua franca of a vast area spanning several universes. Indeed. Oh, um, really? So this wow. is aliens, and there's the usual spiritual beings who got sick of being spiritual beings and became mortal beings, but they were super-duper powerful beings because they, you know, all of this sort of stuff, and a very long, complicated history involving war and warriors and all sorts of fun language politics. So sort of Tolkien in space. Yes. Um, I'm trying to figure out what his H plus consonant is pre-aspiration. Pre-aspirated. So he has aspirated, pre-aspirated. Plain. Yeah, and and plain. Um, it's interesting. Dunka, I apologize, he has to use Sampa. Yeah, I figured it was an older website. <laughs> um, it's interesting that he has aspiration in 
explosives, but pre-aspiration distinction everywhere else where there's a distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's and it's not there. it's not mechanic. Excuse me, it's not mechanically applied to all sounds, even some that are similar. So I like that to have a few places where your sounds is is, yeah, it's, is not it's, it's boringly not entirely symmetrical. It's got some interesting holes there. Yeah. Uh, Although how you pronounce a pre-aspirated velar fricative, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, whatever. Um, like I don't have a hard enough time telling those. Well, maybe if that's you, not if you the thing. They don't sound like at all. Say, say ah, he- When I hear ha and ha, they sound completely different. But my brain, my English brain, wants to just lump them together. Hey, <laughs> uh, he has. Um, oh, we assume so he with the name Taliesin, but who knows? We'll assume he with the general statistics of conlanging. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I don't know if it's actually as male-dominated as all that, but, um... It is. So he has, it looks like he, he has both rising and falling diphthongs. Yes, he does, and I find them confusing. I find his vowel chart very icky. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you have O that high? If O is going to be that high, it's not going to be an O, it's just going to be a U. Except he's what he's calling falling and rising has nothing to do with vowel height and everything to do where the stress went. Yeah, it's 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 rising and falling diphthongs. It's not it's not tone. Well, it's not tone and it's not vowel height. It's stress. Yeah, which you know, which call, calling it a falling diphthong is a little bit weird. And he has some nice sundi effects, which are suitably baffling to uh, make the language a little less completely regular. Uh huh. Uh, I'd like to know where he got this crazy script. Well, he, it's 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 kind of attractive, but he got it from the aliens. Uh, it's got some uh, weirdness. Attractive is not the word I would have applied to it. It's, um, got, it's got sort of the the Devanagari alignment, but without the actual um, top bar. Not yeah, either. that's a good point. So let's let's. Look a little bit on grammar here. Um, the my God, there's lots of noun forms. There is lots of noun forms. Um, so I have to be take responsibility for putting this language on the list. There are some things that are a little bit puzzling and irritating about how the language is described, and this may be a quality of age, in that this is the strangest way to lay out um, a system of cases I have ever seen. <laughs> Uh, let's see where the cases are. Overview, what is a noun? And then right under that is the layout of the cases. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, I kind of skipped over it. Mm-hmm. Um, why does he mark the two instrumentals with the same glossing convention? Because two different... Okay, so there are two genders in the language. Animate and inanimate, and some things have different marking. Mm-hmm. So he's using the word for dog and the word for mountain as examples of each. Oh, okay. So so some things will be the same because of what they're marking. Okay. Um, yeah. So he has uh, an agentative, pa- patientative, uh, he calls this beneficiary, but it's benefactive, basically. Uh, EXP, whatever that is. Um, instrumental is different for, for animates and inanimates. And no, it's the same. That's the confusing thing. The beneficiary is different, but 
<laughs> but the instrumentals are the same. Which is really weird. You would think using an animate entity as an instrument would be dispreferred in your grammar, and you would come up with a different way to say that. Yeah, you would think that if you care about animacy, you might avoid using having instrumental on people. Animate, so. Yeah. Well, dogs and people. Um, right. It's interesting. Huh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what these these how specifically these cases are used. That's the problem. Right. There's a little more examples. So he's got various... One thing he does a pretty good job of is distinguishing where the prefix orders fall, which is nice because we've had other languages that have lots of affixes that don't tell us what order they go in. Um, so the the initial listing is a bit confusing and is sort of a taste. Then if you scroll down, then you start to see a little bit more of the ordering information. Uh, he says he lists emphasis as something. Yeah, except above he very kindly calls it focus. <laughs> maybe maybe he has been... Has not has fully been, heard the word that William wishes to convey to all people on this subject, but okay. But maybe he's he's kind of stopped in the middle of revising it or something. But anyway. Yeah, there are one or two places where I think he's in the transition in orthographies, that, that, so that would not be surprised me if there are one or two things that slipped past um, um, he's got diminutives and augmentatives. He has a class of adjectives that have bound short forms. Mm-hmm. Um, wild, tame, young, old, good, evil, um, same and other. That's a funny mix. Um, I'm going to try to say the evil other dog. <laughs> he, he gives no ordering information from these. They might have separate forms. Um it's interesting that he has this big chart of involving a relative, um, basically, placement and movement, um, I think, add positions of some kind or something. Well, a complex case system for marking location. And, of course, his point is that the native speakers of Turuvan think in 3D. Yeah. And what? They think, well, they're, they're spacefaring race, right? So that's, this is better suited to zero-G environments, as they say. Um, and they think of, um, usually, they think in terms of orientation respective to themselves, not the ground or random objects. So um, he has separate um, affixes for marking time in ways that I would like to see more examples of. Sort of some interesting ideas there. He has a long list of verbs that are derived from his locative cases. Right, right. Um, possession is wonderfully and naturalistically complicated. He had a nice little chart on the types of possession. Yeah, no, I like that. I don't know where it was, but I enjoyed it when I saw it. Ooh, this is, this is interesting. So there's unpossessable and possessable distinguished, and then a, a second axis that distinguishes inalienable and inalienable. Right. Yeah. Um, that's cool. So we don't need to go through all of the details online, but some people might. I, I think that his section on possession yeah. is instructive. Yeah, take a look at it. Don't. We're not going to sit here and and uh, tell you what his system is, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, statives has. That's another interesting thing. He has statives, which are effectively adjectives in many cases, um, uh-huh. exist in a twilight zone between nouns and verbs, and that is very common in human languages. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that touch as well. Uh, let's see. Hmm. His relative clauses are kind of strange. Um, uh, really? I don't think they're strange. I think he's just going, well, are these, I forget the syntax. I mean, the point is... to figure out how they work. Um, right, the point is that he has gone through and given all of the situations, subject relatives, object relatives, oblique relatives, all of that is, is good to do um, if you're not going to go the simple way and just use a relative pronoun. So when we talked about Kamikami, it also had a nice long discussion about the different possibilities. Yeah, he has, it's, uh, they're actually very interesting. He has sort of, he has a bunch of different affixes that are involved in creating the different types of relatives you can have. Right, and, and that happens from time to time in natural languages, so. I don't know where he got this idea, but it's it's not unnatural. So he has verbs are pretty simple. There's a negative prefix that comes before all the other prefixes, which he just has imperative, passive, and same subject. I presume that's sort of a reflexive. Version. No. Same subject. Same, same subject to me sounds like a switch reference system. Maybe. I'll have to see what what the same subject means. Um, He has moods. Nope, nope. I'm just looking at his examples. He is absolutely using same subject as part of a switch reference system. Oh, okay. I was was lying. Um, His... I don't like the way he lists his moods here. Um, I'd like to have him... uh, I'd like him to actually sort of use the terms for moods, but other than that, it's a lot of... There's a lot of moods here, and... There I, are. I, I'd be some interested of, yeah. to see... to have him do some more interplay between them. It's like he wanted to mush the um, modals in with the moods. Yeah. Um, fine, he has an obligative, which is... It's fine, but he ended up with a lot of moods. One to have. Um, he has voice... And valence, a whole section on that. Uh, I don't know. There's a very. There's a lot of stuff here. It's not as in depth as some languages we've done, but it's a, it's a fairly big, well thought out. Oh dear. Does he use. Does he use base 2 or what? Or? He has se- several interacting number systems, none of which are 10. This is. Okay. Binary base 5, base 8, and base 24. All interacting. It's the last one that gets me. And... 24? Well, um... That's what... Prior to the first grammar of Teruvan, there were two competing systems in use. Base 5 was used for monetary matters and measurements of everyday quantities, while base 24 was used by scientists and for fractions and extremely large quantities. Base 8 was the winning compromise. <laughs> Though there are still localities that use base 12 or base 16. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh... Oh, wow. He's got nice, long, complicated, and confusing charts for his number system. So if you get into that sort of thing, this is the sort of thing you're going to get into. Wow. He has... Aile. So the, the basically... It's not complicated compound compounding of these things. It's actually 
five different, well, four different numeral systems plus a colloquial version of the binary system. Right. Which why um, you, why your your binary would be you would have a, a colloquial version is beyond me. Well, you know, talking computers they need to chat. <laughs> um, for uh, people who have mostly confined themselves to creating languages kind of like European languages. I most recommend looking at the page on verbs because he's got all sorts of categories. In my opinion, too many categories of things that can be done to the verbs. Um, Commentary, mirativity, valency changing, um, evidentiality, a huge list of aspects. Um, This great big pile of stuff. I would not recommend using all of them normally, um, but there's some interesting ideas here. I feel like you could say that for most of the language. He has a lot of stuff, and I feel like it's a little too much stuff. Yeah, some of it. I don't think he's moved into kitchen sink territory, but the he's getting. He's he's on the precipice, and he's looking in there, and he's thinking, maybe I wish to go there. Maybe I need (laughs) twelve genders. Maybe I need more different kinds of plurals. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I love the positive aspect. Which means you've you've interrupted some operation for a while. I like that. Uh, um, Navajo has that which it produces by a combination of aspect and derivational prefix elements, but this is nice. Although then he has accidental and intentional, but they're not really aspects. Those are... Huh. So I always have mixed feelings about this. He's called it aspect, but they're not really aspects. But it's not completely beyond the realm of possibility that you'd have things that would pattern like aspect marking, but actually mark different things. So, eh. Yeah, well. He has a recording. Yes, he has recordings. Uh, let's just go with the Babel text. And we'll see if... Does he have a recording on that? Um, it doesn't say. I The grandfather and the dragon does. Oh, but it, he says it's very loquacious. Oh. Mm, is it the only one that has a recording? We'll, we'll do that recording. Then. Okay. <laughs> so... You guys know uh, where the link says very low real audio recording. So let's reading. Let's go. In a minute, once it decides to load on me, I can't even tell if I'm going to the thing. Oh, it downloaded. Okay, open. Wait, is this this is a real? This is a real. Uh, I'm not gonna play real audio recordings. Real audio? Yes. I didn't even know that still existed. <laughs> well, apparently this is a very old site. I That's thought I true. had I thought I had seen other audio files, but sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to bother with that, but, you know. Guys, if you put recordings on, put them in MP3 or, or AUG. AUG is fine. Oh, he's fine. So, in addition to all of these things, he has some lessons, which is very helpful to see, to give you simpler examples of vocabulary and grammar in use, which is a little bit easier sometimes to approach than gigantic um, Giant lists, lists of grammatical of affixes. Yeah. Um, I think overall, this is a very interesting thing to look at. I, I agree with you, William, that the, he has a little bit too much stuff. 
in some categories. So you might want to like like what he has like ten moods. It's kind of a lot. <laughs> um, so it's a good place to look for ideas. It's not necessarily the best place to like base your conlang on. Yeah. Well, I. Right, when you invent a language for aliens, then you can sort of say, well, how do you know that this is a kitchen sink if you're a pan-dimensional being from... Yeah. Um, do we really have to warn people about how they shouldn't copy other people's conlangs? I suspect most of us love to read... Well, those of us who like to read grammars do so to pilfer only those features that we like and that we are unlikely to grab an identical collection. Uh-huh. So, well, whatever. Look at the verbs. Look at the whole um, language. I think it's worth a look. Yeah. Why don't we um, go ahead and move on to feedback? I think we dun, 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 feedback. talked a little enough about this. And we have a very special feedback. I got this... Um, I, I found this link to the 2011 ZBB Awards. And apparently, right at the end here, it says... Special award for outstanding services to con artistry, receiving all 11 of the votes that were cast. Allock gets the uh, this award for Con Langry podcast. Woo! Which Allock is me. I say that this the that the award is for the podcast itself because. Um. Okay, I'll accept that, George. But here's the the true and sad facts of life in any hobby. Uh-huh. Finding people to volunteer to actually do stuff and organize stuff is almost impossible. <laughs> so the oh. fact that you keep it happening is deserving of notice, in my well, opinion. Well, thank you very much, but you know, I couldn't... This, this podcast would be much worse without you, William, because you know stuff that we don't. Because <laughs> I collect, because I collect grammars of Navajo. Yeah, but it also I, I would be not... as it also would be in as entertaining without Bianca. But uh, exactly. I'm um, here for color commentary. <laughs> you are kind of right, though. It took me this idea was in my head for a year, and I kept asking the few conlangers I knew in person if they wanted to do a podcast, and you know they didn't. Um, they didn't really, they weren't really interested in it, and it was like, it took me until, you know, last year I finally decided I was just going to go on the ZVB and I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to do a podcast, but I need like two more hosts. <laughs> so I got Bianca and then Tomas uh, to do the first episode, then Tomas dropped out, and then I, you were a guest, William, and then became a regular host. So yeah, I couldn't do this without support for the community. I wouldn't know enough about it and I can't people if you have noticed the my speaking style, I'm not really able to I wouldn't be able to handle doing this podcast myself because I have terrible radio presence. So it's good that I was finally able to find co-hosts to help me do it. And you keep doing it. We've, I mean, this yes. most podcasts that are on subjects I find interesting, I find seven to 12 episodes of three years ago, and then they stopped. Actually, yeah. I'm quite surprised we made it to 30-something. 
I thought we'd run out of conlangs and topics and be like, well, guys, it was good while it lasted. Well, that was the whole reason that I decided um, to do the buffer and do the the particular format that we do so that um, basically, since I need editing anyway to sound reasonably intelligent on the radio and also because... You know, I wanted this show to come out weekly and some in a reliable manner. We did the the edited pre recorded show with the um buffer and that really I think is the the reason that the show is still on. Otherwise we would have gone on hiatus like five times and sure, eventually sure, just sure. killed the thing. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to episode 52, because that will be cool. Oh, yeah, that will mean a year of podcasts, won't it? That'll be Dear neat. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody everybody makes a milestone as episode 100, but, you know, episode oh, 52, 52 for a weekly podcast is... It's awfully good. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, anyway... Uh, Thank I just, you. I'm glad you love us. Yes. yes. You eleven. You eleven people who voted. <laughs> yeah. I, they have a very small committee there on the ZVB, don't they? Um, oh, they I'd form like a special committee for this. I don't know if it's committee or if it's if there's more people on the ZBB than this. Right. So I would assume that. Uh, well, that's interesting. Do we the, have the Artlang faction and the the IAL faction and the. Yeah, I don't knows? know. I I'm I, I'm sure there's more than than eleven or twelve active people on the ZBB, but I don't know. All right. Oh well, there were only so many votes cast. That's it. May be because that 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 um, awards thing was buried in a a forum that I know I don't check. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this happened until like. After the fact, in the the Conlangry um, thread, Finlay's like, oh, by the way, we gave you an award. And I'm like, where is this award? And somebody linked to it. Yeah. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just somebody. Like, I had read through, like, the thread for the nominations just to see, like, the Conlangs and stuff. But I didn't actually notice they were doing one for us when I went through it. <laughs> I also would have been like, hey, look, I think they're going to give us an award. <laughs> but Let's bribe yeah. the judges. Well, I should find the list again and go look at the languages. That would be interesting. Yeah, I, um, I didn't there's find it some that interesting, weird categories in there, like best Warfare syntax. That's. Uh, huh. Best Con World element written. Best so. use of a uvular mean? ejective. What? <laughs> No, that's not actually one. <laughs> really, I think they, next year they need a category for best use of a uvular ejective. But okay, they, they um, best conlang went to Baranhei, which is a conlang. I think he won actually, last year as well. We actually reviewed Baranhei, and we reviewed uh, Gomain, which got best script. Huh. Anyway, that's um, that's all we have for the show today. So let's kind of. Wrap this up. Uh, William, do you have any final words of wisdom? Not at today. Not this week. Sorry. Uh, Bianca? Don't get sick. <laughs> not fun. 
I think we need to change the the final wisdom and have each of us like prepare like a short little proverb in one of our conlangs. Okay, we could do that. I don't know if we want to do that every week, but that would be fun to do. I don't know. Actually, the one I'm working on now is really easy to pronounce, so that's that's good. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm happy with that. Knack knack. No, not knack knack. I still have to record that now that I've stopped coughing up my lungs. <laughs> you have I another one. I can record that. <laughs> it just sounds preposterously ridiculous, which is the point. Which is the point. Well, in any case, happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Comments, questions, and suggestions can be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and maybe leave us a five-star review while you're at it. You can also like us at facebook.com slash conlangery, follow us on Twitter at conlangery, or circle us on Google Plus by searching for Conlangery Podcast. Our theme music was created by the band Noel Device. This this would this language would benefit from from uh, my idea to that I, sh- I that I want to apply to a, a language for a generation ship, which is uh, demonstratives for uh, inside the ship and outside the ship. Um, um, uh, let's see. Let's get. Oh, that explains it. But since he has an entire website devoted to Tolkien's languages, it sort of makes sense. Oh, is this the guy who's like, no, Tengwar is actually easy? Yeah, that's just wrong. I I do not need a lecture on the current state of Tolosan politics, which is truly (laughs) surreal. Yeah, I don't care about parrots. Some guy showed up on the forums. He was like, I'm an expert on xenobiology. I was like, really? Where did you get your credentials from? I think putting a feedback statement, a feedback segment... Encourages encourages, people to feedback? Yeah, encourages more people to talk to. To backfeed. To backfeed or whatever Uh, the appropriate... Which one would it be? How come some English verbs do it one way and some do it the other? Spirit gender sounds like some horrible sex-positive feminist conference. La, 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 la. Sorry, I was feed, feeding back, whatever that word is. This so is very stick-a-brick language. <laughs> okay, so I've been drinking too much tea, so I'm going to mute you guys. I'm going to go pee. All right, I look forward to hearing my announcement of the intent to urinate on the end of the next episode. The Book of Ilzampist. Dun-dun-dun! But in my defense, I was 12. A lot uh, of people start out with this great ambition. I'm going to change the world, and everyone's going to be happy, and we're all going to snuggle bunnies. And... That's about all they have, and then they make something Until which is the garbage. bunnies bite you. <coughs> Different people did it. This was me making fun of the idea. I invented a verb for navel-gazing. And he was, like, doing some sort of family language. <laughs> Wargaming has, has generated a vast literature on realism, morality, etc. I, I really adore completely incomprehensible artistic manifestos. I, I really have... I have, a, I have 
I'm a connoisseur of them. My favorite are the Italian futurists. Should we do a podcast on con lagging and its art and make our own manifesto? <laughs> I will model it on the scum manifesto. And her problem with men was that they were not groovy. I don't want to see a naked guy with, with kielbasa on his body. It's Me either, and I like seeing naked guys, but that was not a scene I <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see a naked chick with kielbasa duct tape to her body.